and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume 8, issue 374. You can play along with the show. Next issue is on Donkey Kong and Donkey Kong 94. After that, Dino Crisis. Then the first of two issues on Prey. This one's Prey 2006, though. Uh, after that, Inside. And then Rhythm Action Madness with Dyad. You can find those five games on the schedule and the schedule beyond that for the rest of Volume 8 at caneandrinse.com. You can get the show a week earlier than non-subscribers for $1, which is roughly 80 pence or 90 euro cents at the moment. Uh, that's a monthly subscription on patreon.com slash caneandrinse. We also, on our website, have a link to a PayPal tip jar for anyone who doesn't want a monthly recurring fee uh, or just want you know just wants a one-off donation or would rather it go through paypal than patreon it's not just cane and rinse that we have in our podcast stable though we have sound of play on wednesdays a video game music podcast on thursdays it's play right where the two ryans present their take on different game pitches if you like the way to a way to sort of have fun with ideas about video games and then friday's Chris O'Regan hosts The Sausage Factory, where he interviews game developers and makers of all shapes and sizes. Um, Find that on Fridays, as I said. You can subscribe, review, and rate this show or any of the above podcasts on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. I guess it's barely iTunes now. Um, Apple Podcasts or any RSS-based feeds or smart speakers, uh, Spotify, or any other apps where you get podcasts from. Any reviews are gratefully received. We also have live streams. It's not just audio. We're in the video realm as well. Live streams on Sundays by, again, Chris O'Regan, live on Twitch at 8 o'clock UK time, and then posted to YouTube afterwards. Those are generally uh, a variety of games, often retro, sometimes tying into uh relevant Cane and Rinse episodes as uh, Cane and Rinse issues. Games we're covering for the main show as and when that happens to work. And then on Thursdays, Chris again, this time with Darren Gargett, are live on Twitch at 8 o'clock UK time again. And then on YouTube, but on Thursdays, it's just the one game, Sea of Thieves, trying to work out what is Sea of Thieves, I suppose, is, is the main <laughs> question. Darren leading Chris through the game uh, and and having loads of fun. Highly recommended. For more news about what Cane Rinse is up to, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or all three. Why not? So that's the intro. I am James Carter and in issue 374, I am joined by Charlotte Cutts. Hello. Jacob Geller. Excellent is not an art. It's pure habit. We are what we repeatedly do. Hello. And <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello. And I am repeatedly introducing this time around, it's Mikhail Croder. Shing! <laughs> Very to the point. Excellent. Uh, welcome all. So Fury is uh, an interesting game. Jacob, your pick, I think, for this volume? Yes. Excellent. So obviously we're going to be hearing last in the roundups from Jacob, but between now and then we all get to have our say. Jacob does get the last word, though. Um, this is a game that was developed and published by the Game Bakers, who are a French studio, former Ubisoft employees, founded by Emmerich Toa and Audrey Le Prince. Apologies for pronunciation if that's not correct. I went with what I thought the French pronunciation was. Um, that was formed in Montpellier in 2010. Uh, Emmerich at that point had been working for Ubisoft for I think six, six and a half years or so. Uh, just to give you an idea of the pedigree. 
the first game that the Game Bakers created was called Squids, and they did a series of those games on mobile and on 3DS, which were event one of them at least was ported to Switch. Emmerich Toa, as mentioned, was a founder, but is also on this game director and producer. Audrey Leprance was one of the writers on this game as well, the other founder of, of the Game Bakers. Worth noting, I guess, the artist credits, not that any of the other credits aren't worth mentioning, they absolutely are, but uh, one that stands out on the artist credit is that the the artist responsible largely for the boss designs was the illustrator of the Afro Samurai manga and also was involved in the art uh, more recently for the Batman Ninja film. Um, that's Takashi Okazaki. The other area that the credits are going to spring out to you significantly are in the composers. This, uh, I guess, as a touchstone, Hotline Miami did a kind of similar thing, bringing on several artists from a particular genre. And in this case, the genre we're going to be talking about is kind of French synthwave predominantly. Um, so you'll see amongst the soundtrack a lot of fairly well-known um, composers in, in that field. And we'll definitely get on to talk about them as and when we talk about the audio and the music. The game was made in the Unity engine and not just in the audio and art uh, stakes, but just as general influences. There are a fairly large number of well-known Japanese game designers pop up in the credits. We're going to be talking about influences a lot, but in the credits, several specific people mentioned, such as Shinji Mikami, Hideki Kamiya. Usual suspects when it comes to Japanese action games, I think it's fair to say. So the game was released to PC and PlayStation 4 on the 5th of July 2016. Um, I didn't realise this until I checked back, but it was a PlayStation Plus game in July 2016, so released straight onto PlayStation Plus, which, as always with PlayStation Plus games, means... A lot of people listening who haven't played the game might actually have <laughs> access to a copy. I don't want to say own because PlayStation Plus is kind of not like that. But check your PlayStation library. You may well have it on PlayStation 4. Um, the game was ported to Xbox One at the end of 2016, uh, roughly five months later, 2nd of December 2016, and then came to Nintendo Switch a year after, roughly, uh, early 2018, 11th of January. Um, so available on on all current gen consoles, I guess. Although, uh, do we include handhelds? Mm, I don't know. But available in lots of different places. Plenty of places to to check it out. Uh, there was also DLC, which came out March two thousand seventeen. So less than a year after after release, one more fight DLC, which adds uh, an extra boss fight. Steam, there have been so many updates that added sort of little extra modes or tweaks or uh, extra kind of difficulty in one in one case which um which were added bit by bit all the way kind of along throughout the first sort of couple of years of the game but these were kind of packaged up into one big freedom update which actually didn't come out until the 4th of April 2019 so uh still being updated fairly recently uh even as we record this Later on, we'll get into the sort of stuff that was added in the Freedom Update and break it down a bit more, but Control Scheme was added, uh, the Furier difficulty was added to the ability to speedrun on that, and a kind of catch-all boss was added, which blends all the other bosses into one boss fight, which sounds terrifying <laughs> to me, to be honest. <laughs> In terms of reception, just kind of summing up the overall review picture, Game Rankings has uh, between seven, sort of 74 and 78%, depending upon the platform. So kind of in that almost dreaded 
seven to eight out of ten. Not no man's land because that's a really harsh way to put it, but some people would see that as kind of like it's it's not been damned, but it's not been overwhelmingly praised either. Nonetheless, nominated for three different Golden Joysticks, Best Original Game, Best Visual Design, and Best Indie Game, and a, um, a win for Best Soundtrack at the Ping Awards, which are a French video game awards. So obviously, as as just like at the BAFTAs, you see lots of British studios uh, represented at the Ping Awards. I think we'll get on to it, but I think justifiably the soundtrack being, uh, being kind of uh, acknowledged and recognised. So that covers uh, what I sort of cobbled together in terms of the development and and some of the kind of background to the game. Uh, now our backgrounds to the game. Um, Charlotte, would you like to take us off talking about how you came to this game and when and why you played it? Yeah, um, unfortunately, as per usual, I don't have a particularly exciting story behind how I came to this game. Um, I'd heard about it as I do a lot of quote-unquote indie games just in general about the art style and the music so I didn't really know a lot about the game before I came to it and before it came up as a game on the Kane and Rins master list and then got picked but there was enough being talked about with the art style and the music that I definitely wanted to play it. This is not unusual for me really that I don't know a lot about an indie game and then I go on and play it and I think it's brilliant so for example Oxenfree is one of my favorite games from recently and that I knew barely anything about it beforehand. So I thought going in, you know, I don't know a lot about this, but I'm happy to put myself down because um, it seems like the music would be good enough to sort of grab my attention and, you know, be a, a really big component of the game that would make me enjoy it. That's why I put myself down for this. The fact that the music and the art style was a lot of what people talked about. And I thought the rest of the game, I would... Somehow, you know, doesn't really matter what it is. I'd, I'd, I'd find a way to enjoy it. Um, as we um, talk about the game, um, it's going to become clear that maybe it, that kind of bit me on the bum a bit. And actually, <laughs> it didn't end up like Oxenfree. Actually, I really did not get on with this game very well. So yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, that's my history with the game. I didn't really know a lot about it. And often that works out really well. But in this case, yeah, as we're yeah, going to sure. find out, not really. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's fine. As always, you know, uh, occasionally we are criticized for all being too negative or all being too positive. I think we've got a, a pretty good blend. And so you're, as always, your perspective is going to be invaluable in that. So thank you. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, I'm willing to bet Jacob... Yeah, so my history goes back to 2016 with mm. this. Um, people who are into the kind of like game video analysis scene will almost certainly know Matthew Mitosis. He's one of the kind mm. of like original people doing stuff. And he released a video pretty soon after the game's release, kind of talking about just how cool he thought Fury was. And, you know, he's always kind of like measured praise and criticism, but like, you know, from from that video, it just sounded like something that I would be into. And so I picked it up and I played it through. I was looking at the achievements. It looks like I kind of started in winter of 2016 and then like kind of fell off for a month around like the fourth boss and then kind of came back and finished it, you know, in, in January of 2017. But the reason that I picked this and all the all the Ken and Rents team members get to kind of like choose one game that they really want to talk about and have that be part of the volume. And I chose this one because I just keep coming back to this game. And mm -hmm. so I feel like I've probably I mean, I, I've 
my Steam hour count is around like 40 on this. And wow. and although it might take you eight hours or 10 hours the first time you play through, all of the subsequent times are going to be much shorter than that. And so I have played through this game probably upward of a dozen times and just kind of find myself coming back to it again and again. And I wanted to figure out why. So so that's where, you know, my history started pretty close to release, but uh, but it has led right up till now. Excellent. Um, yeah, I guess I'll go next because um, the, at least the beginning of my history kind of starts similarly to yours. Um, I picked this up PlayStation on day of release when it came to PlayStation Plus. Uh, I, I started playing it the following month, August 2016. I found it tough. Um, the, the first boss, I remember getting uh, frustrated that I wasn't kind of able to progress. I, you'd you know, move two phases in and, and then die and back to the beginning. And I definitely uh, beat the first boss when I first started it, got to the second boss and was it, it felt like a war of attrition just to get from one phase to the next. And so I kind of burned out on, on well, basically I didn't want to start breaking controllers. So uh, I, I fell off the game then, um, but from that point forward had had this down as a game that I uh, on our traffic light system had as a as an orange saying I'd be willing to finish this for for a cane and rinse so obviously when you suggested it I I ended up uh, popped down for this one but my attention was drawn to it in the first place as we'll discuss and I, as I imagine many people's was just by the very striking uh, look of this game, whether it's a still, whether it's in motion, um, I defy anyone not to think this looks visually interesting, if not appealing. And the soundtrack, as soon as it started, was just like, oh yeah, no, this the the soundtrack is very much like your forty hours worth of having played the game. The soundtrack dwarfs the, my listening time for it, dwarfs my playing time for this <laughs> yeah. game in, in to great extent. But in terms of actually playing it through fully, I restarted this game a couple of weeks back and um, have spent the last couple of weeks worried sick that I would not be able to finish this game. But as it turns out, <laughs> I was able to finish this yeah. game. This is a very rare occurrence of me coming in under the how long to beat recommended completion time for a game. Uh, I, I tend to round those up and then stick a couple of extra hours uh, on top for most of my completion times. And this time round, I came in just under the wire. So no more of your self-deprecation about your gaming skills, please, oh, James. Oh, there is plenty of self-deprecation. <laughs> uh, it took me about nine hours to to complete this uh, in first playthrough, and it that that first playthrough time I think is going to be highly variable for people. But yeah, Jacob, I agree. Subsequent playthroughs, I could imagine, obviously the the speed run time in the achievements of like two hours twelve minutes. It doesn't seem ridiculous to me that that should be, oh, yeah. be the case. We'll get on to my speedrun yeah, yeah. time later. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that's my um, that, that's my story with this game. And Mikhail, how about yourself? Um, I came to know about Fury due to the music. Um, I was emailing back and forth, fancy that, e long email conversations uh, in 2016 with uh, erstwhile guest on the show, Sorian Dash. Mm -hmm. uh, he was on, a, on the Beautiful Joe episode. Uh, and we were just discussing various things. And uh, he, he's pretty... He's pretty uh, on the cutting, very much on the cutting edge of electronic music, uh, and he started going on about synthwave to me, and he highlighted this band, and he forwarded me a link to their album called uh, Carpenter Brood, or mm -hmm. maybe a production team or a producer <laughs> is more apt. Uh, and then he also told me, yeah, they also did the soundtrack for this uh, game called Fury. 
So I asked him, so what is this all about, Fury, then? And he didn't really know. He just knew about the music. Mm. So that's sort of how I came to know about it. I looked up some videos on, on YouTube, and it seemed uh, quite interesting, something that I might, you know, want to um, yeah, spend some time with. And not too long, long after that, uh, the Matthew Matosis uh, vi video went up. Mm. Uh, so I watched that as well. Yeah. So by all accounts, it seemed like uh, a game that would interest me, having uh, yeah, a long long love for action games of the, the, the super swift, nippy um, Japanese variety. When a uh, forum user on the Kane Rinse forum called TP sent, a, sent out a huge uh, Excel list of games he had still had <laughs> um, codes for, uh, Fury was on that list. So that was one of the uh, one of the four games I requested a code for on Steam uh, for him, which he uh, yeah, very generously supplied to me. That's how I uh, sort of got my feet wet with uh, with Fury, but I had a lot of other things to play, so I didn't really delve into it until uh, a couple of weeks ago. So we've touched a little bit on what this game is, and I it's always fun writing down the genre of a game because action games kind of a catch all, really. I mean that that mm. could kind of mean anything. When yeah. we're talking fast paced action and and not necessarily a shooter, I think it does bring to mind the likes of uh, Devil May Cry or a Bayonetta. But in this yeah. case, I I think my best stab at summing up the genre is boss rush bullet hell third person action. Yeah, it's interesting looking just like looking at this game. I kind of expected a more I'm I'm a huge character action fan which is in itself is kind of loosely defined but like yeah. I kind of thought mm. this would be like Devil May Cry or Bayonetta or something because you're a character with a sword and everyone's moving very quickly and I just assumed that it would you know play along those lines mm. and and it really doesn't you know no. it, it it is it is as one of our our three word reviews references kind of a secret shmup maybe maybe closest to um if if the camera was differently positioned it would feel a lot like near automata in some boss yeah. fights because yeah. you you know in that game you have a gun and a sword and whatever but but there is really no focus on like combos or or player creativity in this in in the way that there is in those other types and so yeah it walks a very interesting line between genres yes yeah i think so yeah i mean there's also a little bit of kind of twin stick shooter aspect that i didn't cover in the genre there just in terms mm. of control scheme but but yeah, also for the, for the for the projectile attacks yeah definitely. yeah definitely yeah. Um, it it brought to mind for me, and I, I can't actually say the name of the game because it's a bit of a spoiler, like a pretty big spoiler, but there is <laughs> one game that came out about a few years ago where one of the endings has a bullet hell section, and mm. the, I, 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 I stopped playing the game at that point because it was so awful, yeah. like not badly designed, but just made me break out into a sweat trying to play it. So yeah. It, yeah. it gave me big memories almost flashbacks of having to play that ending. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's fair to say, and uh, Mikhail, you'll be able to speak to this better than I can, but Bullet Hell is a very strange beast because in many ways it is pattern recognition. And once you've memorized the route or the, the kind of repeat loop to get through the waves of bullets, it's it's so it's so weird as a as a like subgenre of a kind of ac action style game or even a shooter style game because it is so pattern based. Yeah, but I, I think that's where Fury is actually different from an actual mm. bullet hell shooter. Uh, because I don't want to get too too go too far into no, this no, or sure. too deep yeah. into this. But um, in in let's say 
the bullet hell subgenre as uh, popularized and as uh, pioneered by the likes of uh, studios like Cave and Rising. Mm-hmm. Actually, it's not so much about, oh, you always need to be in this position on the screen and mm-hmm. then you're safe. It's more about how do you manipulate the bullet streams on, on screen? Because sure. you've got a lot of popcorn enemies that shoot uh, directly aimed shots at you. And then you've got like larger enemies that shoot uh, a spread of bullets in your general direction. Yeah. And if you take start taking the initiative in those games, you can sort of start herding the masses of bullets around the screen and manipulate sure. them. Yeah, and yeah. that's definitely not so much the case in Fury. It's no, way no. more about pattern recognition than an actual bullet hell game. Yeah. Because almost always the the bullet patterns are coming from one place, and they are just you you have yeah. very little ability to influence production of those bullets. And we'll get exactly. on when we're talking about the mechanics. You can yeah. you can remove bullets from the screen, but you're quite kind of limited in how you can do that. So okay, before we get on to into the weeds of the mechanics, I guess um, I mentioned the aesthetic was the first thing that struck me about this game, uh, both visual and and audio aesthetic. Um, let's go in on that music that I mentioned. Uh, I said it was more or less predominantly French synthwave. Of the acts that are involved, let's just run through them. Carpenter Brute, I think, is the one that most people point to as as the standout here. Uh, and I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. Uh, also, Danger, uh, The Toxic Avenger, Lorne, Wave Shaper, Knight, and Scattle. Uh, Scattle, particularly on the DLC. And both Lauren and Scattle are American. Wave Shaper is Swedish and Knight. I've not been able to find any information on where uh, that artist is from. Otherwise, French synthwave artists. I mentioned Hotline Miami as a touchstone. Uh, For me, that's both kind of in genre. There's definitely overlap there. Um, But I had a similar situation with Hotline Miami where the soundtrack grabbed me as much as the gameplay did. And uh, just like Carpenter Brute in this soundtrack, Moon was a band uh, or an artist that I came to purely because of that game um, and and grabbed hold of albums and EPs for, for that artist and listened to them just over and over uh, as much as I played that game. And that's very much the case here. Um, I'll open the floor up. Does anyone have any strong starting opinions on uh, on the, the music in particular? But I guess the audio design as well, although it kind of is one and the same very much in, in this game, I think. It sounds good as heck. It's so good. It's so good. I mean, I have to be slightly... uh, I'm going to be negative this whole podcast, but um, I really liked the music. I listened to it outside of the game quite a lot, as I did with Hotline Miami's um, soundtrack. But I didn't feel like the game made as much use of it as I was expecting. It Mm -hmm. very much blended into the background for me, except for the... um, There was one boss fight. I've just got to jog my memory as to what the name of that boss was but it was the mother earth type type boss oh, the, the song that really yeah. stood out to me but everything mm. else just kind of blended into the background a bit and i was expecting more of it to be on beat if you know what i mean i feel like they sure. had such a brilliant soundtrack and they could have made a lot better use of it than they did well i think i think the the blending into the background aspect is actually a I would count that as a positive in in a lot of these cases because it just feels to me each of these tracks feels so just like part of the fight you know like as much as the boss's dialogue and design affect their character Mm. so too does the music that's playing and I think one of the interesting things that separates this from Hotline Miami is in in that game you could kind of swap out levels tracks for each other, you know, like it wasn't 
too specific on like, oh, this time you're in a hotel. So it sounds like this. But in in Fury, they're really very specific. And so like when you're fighting the scale, who's like the the diving suit guy, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. almost all this kind of like lurking bass sounds where it feels almost like it's underwater whereas the song yeah. has a lot of like female vocals vocals and, in there, yeah. um and you know different bosses have very different and specific sounds to them and as the f- uh, the phases of the boss fights uh change the music also develops right mm-hmm. yeah yeah especially when you get into those last kind of like like rush phases where they're just throwing everything at you they almost all have like a very specific track for that Mm -hmm. i think that this soundtrack was kind of on the early edge of of the kind of synth wave craze i mean it's like it it is an intentionally retro sound like it's aping kind of like 80s sounds but but this kind of like resurgence I feel like this is actually one of the main touchstones along with Hotline Miami. And I think maybe more people have listened to the soundtrack than have actually played this game to completion. What's interesting also about this is that you would expect uh, a soundtrack of this type to feature in a game that might just be a little bit, bit more overtly homaging the 1980s uh, mm-hmm. as a decade. Because, you know, there are some, the the color schemes, there are some purples in there, there are some neon lines and everything, but it isn't an, an, uh, you know, it it isn't an uh, overtly retro looking game. Yeah, it's not like Blood Dragon or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. no, I think that's fair. And I I think there is something too. I I reckon, a bit like with Hotline Miami, I reckon if I go back to this game and close my eyes and heard the music start up, I'd know which boss I was fighting. I think I think I do have subconsciously that link, but I absolutely get what you mean, Charlotte, where it fades into the background because I'm so focused on the mechanics and what the mechanics require of me is to notice either a visual or an audible cue. And yeah. it, it, this isn't as rhythm action as I expected either. Um, mm. I, I almost wanted to describe it as a rhythm action game because when I was focused on what I was doing, I did find that I was almost bobbing my head to the rhythm of the music but Mm. it wasn't necessarily helping me play the game any better which obviously (laughs) would be necessary in a rhythm action that's just not here uh in there are these moments of of this uh you know of breathing room basically Mm. uh in between phases for example where you sort of it's almost as if uh, your hand is turning up the volume dial a little bit and you start to enjoy the music a little bit more yeah, before yeah. you grit your teeth and have to face another wave of attacks. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that's the nice way of putting it is that it's almost like the music fades in and out when it requires to for the tension or like the tension of the phase, I guess, rather mm-hmm. than what you're specifically doing. It's, yeah. it's with the, the, point of the, the, the point of time within each fight. Yeah, I do think the music is very motivational in a way that is almost necessary to this game yeah, because if, be. if it got annoying it would be unplayable because you have to just you know repeat these fights so yeah. many times yeah. but for whatever reason i just find this the soundtrack like infinitely re-listenable you know i constantly mm. listen to it while doing work i own it on vinyl like it, it is <laughs> it is a, a soundtrack that i just kind of continue to go back to and i think it really nails that kind of video game aspect of like this is going to repeat a lot but for whatever reason these repetitions 
really just serve to drive you forward rather than kind of getting repetitive. Driving is the exact uh, exact right word for it, I think. Obviously, whenever you fail a sequence, there's some sort of speech that the um, person you're facing off with says, and that repeats itself a lot. Did anybody else find that some of them were were fine? You thought the voice acting was really good, but some of them really started to grate on you after a while because... Um, bit embarrassing to admit but I did fail the beat quite a few times and I found her voice acting to be extremely grating and hearing that repeat just made me want to throw my controller across the room <laughs> <laughs> oh I don't yeah I don't even remember uh what 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 does the beat say what is her thing um she's really weak and she's like defending the final door but she's really ineffectual and she's just very girlish and very i can't even remember what she said i just remember it was like nails down a chalkboard to Mm. me i did really love the um the the kind of samurai guy one of the ones that you fight last Mm. because his his whole thing was like he wants to have a good fight but Mm. but some of his lines i just think are are so interesting and so well delivered i mean he has that one that i introed with of like Mm. excellence is not an art it's pure habit we are what we repeatedly do which might as well be the design ethos for this game. Yeah, like that is just sure. the designer saying that. But repeat, then, repeat, repeat. Yeah, yeah. But but when you're when you're failing his like final sections, and he kind of growls. He's like, "Come on, give me something I can learn from, like something yeah. that can make yeah. me better." And that's so cool. And it, it, it's just it made me feel like the fight. You know, kind of feeling like these characters were as into the fight as you were made it really good and i think i agree with charlotte that's why some of the ones that were like oh just go back you know there's no other way are not are not kind of motivating in the same way for the 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 uh spoiler uh post credits fight uh i started using i've I've done that fight a lot Mm -hmm. and i started using certain lines that are set by the boss in uh at certain intervals i started using that as cues for me to know what kind of attack pattern was coming yeah. as well yeah, yeah. like okay now she's now she's going to do yeah. the uh you know the, the the bit with the the green expanding danger fields yeah, yeah yeah with that fight in particular actually uh talking about the the music again I knew by like different bits of the song where I should be at because with that mm. fight, it's so pattern based and, and kind of wave based in terms of the type of attack being sent at you that actually I, I found I had to do everything exactly the same every single time and just learn how to get through it. And so I knew there was a, a scream in that song that should happen exactly as I was beating uh, exactly as I was clearing the last lot of bullets for one phase, um, which mm. is just uh, speaks to the fact that uh, you were saying, Charlotte, it feels like it should be rhythm action because you should be knowing exactly what's happening at any given point in the music, but it but it's actually not, which is a little bit kind of there's a little disconnect there, I think. Yeah, well, we'll get into this when we discuss the mechanics more in depth. Yeah, but, sure. Uh, there are ways, and of course, you know, there, you can. There's an actual speed run mode in this game, but there mm-hmm. are ways to. Uh, speed up the boss fights considerately and they'll add more damage so certain phases might never even show up uh, yes, and you don't have yeah, to deal definitely. with them yeah. 
Yeah. We're going to talk about the visuals now. Um, so the, the graphics kind of in and of themselves, there is a certain amount of kind of pixelation to them, but it's not pixel art by any stretch. Um, and the animations in particular, uh, Chris, during his interview on the Sausage Factory with Emmerich, talked about the the animations are... Uh, I mean, similar to something like, say, maybe Ghost Trick, where, yeah, it's kind of pixely art, but the animations are incredibly detailed, and they have to be in terms of letting you know visually what's going to happen uh, and what attack's coming next, which you very much can tell depending upon a boss's stance or depending upon uh, how they're moving. So um, that's kind of key. Um, we also have a piece of forum feedback from Shadowless Kick, which I will read us through now. Uh, Shadowless Kick says, I love the colour scheme and the relatively flat stylized presentation. The character designs are unique and hit a sweet spot that shouldn't seem to exist between wacky and deadly serious. The visuals really shine in the environments during the walking scenes between fights, which is why I wasn't bothered by them like some others were. I took so many screenshots during those sections. Yeah, in terms of the visuals, I struggled to define the overall look. And I've put down some kind of touchstones that sprung out to me, but I kind of ended up referring to this, uh, I don't know if it will help people, as a minimalist 3D dead cells, which is kind of weird, but um, that's kind of how it struck me. But there's so much to break down in terms of what this might look like, and I think the colour palette almost does have to be treated separately from the the graphics and art style itself um but how did you guys feel was there anything in particular you liked disliked or any particular uh influences or touchstones you wanted to bring up i think it looks really it's a great kind of different take on comic book because a lot of times when when we say a game looks like a comic book we mean it has kind of like heavy cell shading and that like black outline around the characters and this game doesn't really have that but what it does Mm. have are and this is kind of about the animation as well but like incredibly strong key poses where characters will like move very quickly to a specific pose and then kind of hold there and they have like such strong silhouettes and so Mm -hmm. it makes them even though you're constantly moving you get these kind of like flashes of of imagery which is why i wrote in the touchstones it reminded me of the animation of samurai jack which was another kind of like very very quick show that would just kind of like like occasionally freeze in these like super cool looking poses Mm. and i think i think a lot of the effort here was just like make them look cool and Mm. they did like you know the the characters just like it it, whether whether you're getting your butt kicked or, or kicking butt you know everyone kind of like has these just like very aggressive and interesting looking poses they're always hitting the whole visual style uh i would actually describe as sort of a um a meeting between um, French comic book art mm-hmm. and Japanese animation. So mm-hmm. um, you know, it's very the the, the environments, uh, the color usage is very remini- reminiscent of uh, Jean Giraud and Mobius's work, of course. Uh, but then you've got uh, Okazaki as the the character uh, illustrator, uh, which which brings in more of a very stylized, very authored, uh, a non generic anime look. Game wise, of course, all the all, all the uh, you know you could see you could almost see this as being from the uh, Clover Studio stable or something, you know. It's mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it in so many ways uh, the the look of the game definitely depra- uh, uh, retraces its influences. 
One um, section that I thought was really visually striking was the uh, credits where you're walking through fields of um, yeah fields of grass and you're destroying everything that crosses your path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was really visually um, attractive because you go from a game that's very colorful and very sort yeah. of neon colors to everything just going black in your wake. I thought yeah. that was really, really good touch. It's it's cool how much they like save for the end. You know, you imagine with a small game like this, you don't have a ton of budget to throw around. So to mm. like have these visual tricks that really only come in in the last like, you know, ninth of the game. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's just it's a very cool moment. Uh, I should say I didn't put a spoiler warning in here. I'm not sure anyone's going to feel like we uh, spoiling the story of this game is necessarily the end of the world because I don't imagine that's going to be a big draw. But although th- that is how the game ends, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. The, there's a lot of narrative packed into the end there, uh, for sure. Um, but the other thing is the the main character is called the Stranger, but is also referred to as Ryder. And I thought it was interesting to have a red cloak on someone called Ryder. Uh, bring immediately brings out Red Riding Hood's. Uh, references uh yeah interestingly given we've already mentioned bb hood in this this episode there we go another one um, yeah. and I, I don't think there's necessarily similarities much beyond that i don't think there's thematic similarities really with uh, red riding hood it just struck me as something that was notable when you're calling a character rider and they're wearing a red uh like yeah. cloak that's uh that's maybe notable. you could call him a, a wolf in sheep's clothing <laughs> i suppose you could <laughs> yeah. yeah and i mean red riding hood is a story uh, is a story uh, where uh the morale sort of is uh, to never stray off the path right so again yeah. focus yeah, as, stay on the path yeah yeah for sure <laughs> Uh, another thing I think is worth mentioning here, actually, is um, I'd read that uh, the Nintendo Switch uh, version of this game kind of works slightly differently in terms of, of all things, the hair animation of the protagonist, uh, in mm. that there's a physics model applied in PC, Xbox, and PS4. But yeah. for Nintendo Switch, rather than have that physics model apply, uh, it's just a kind of straightforward animation, um, which is mm. uh, which is kind of a weird thing, but I guess just removes the need to have a physics component to the engine running at all, because I can't think of anywhere else you'd really but need that, that being sort of handcrafted yeah, kind yeah. Of animation might actually work in the game's favor because i yeah the, the way the hair sort of flopped in the physics engine wasn't it, always it really some weird to my stuff, liking yeah. visually yeah <laughs> no trace effects here obviously but it seemed like an odd way to introduce a, a physics component when it wasn't really necessary given that everything else is so uh kind of specifically animated but mm. uh, yeah just something i happened to to read um about the nintendo switch port yeah, so in terms of that color palette, I think uh, bright and vibrant, and there's definitely a kind of simultaneously, not pastel, but but there is kind of a, a neon effect as well to to the uh, the color palette. The, the clearest uh, way I can kind of, I mean, obviously you can Google the game and see it straight off, but uh, the nearest uh, kind of reference I could pick out to kind of represent to people, to give people another suggestion of a game that might kind of look similar in terms of the color choices uh, was Hyperlight Drifter. Um, which, just for sake of continuing the pattern, we covered in Volume 7, Issue 326. Uh, and that just seemed like a, a relevant kind of uh, touchstone to pull people towards. But striking, definitely. I don't think there's any way to describe this that, that doesn't come across as, as striking in terms of the colour choice. How did you guys feel about the uh, the colour selections? Yeah, it's very much uh, what, what makes... Being that there are hardly any outlines, it's very much what, what makes up the uh, the overall look mm. and atmosphere of the game. 
Um, it was really nice, and we can we can kind of move into the world design with this. But mm-hmm. how how distinct everywhere else is, you know, it's like y- you know one boss arena from the other, even though they mostly boil down to a circle. Like mm-hmm. you know, you're yeah. not you're not fighting on different terrains, but like the kind of the lighting and the the surrounding area of each one is very distinct and makes you feel like you're in a different place, even though they might as well be gray boxed for like gameplay reasons. Yeah. And the colors used too. I think it's fair to say the the colors from one arena and from one boss to the next do vary a bit as well. Mm, I thought that the scale was memorable because it was very, the the color that I think of when I think of the scale is dark green, like Mm. almost like sewer sort of level kind of colors. And then the, the song, which is this mother earth uh, boss was very sort of light and, sort of ethereal kind of palette mm. so they definitely made good use of color it wasn't just you know the the neon pink that you might automatically think of well i think of when i think yeah. of fury yeah when you look at the logo yeah yes exactly. yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. Uh, excellent and on that world design um there's a really weird thing that the, the game does you are escaping a prison but from one boss fight to the next, you travel via portal and you end up in places that seem not just to look very different, but seem like they would be completely disconnected from one another. And obviously some of that is just a, a kind of a game design way of not having to worry about building a whole world that connects together and feels like it all connects together. It's almost Mario Galaxy-like. And yeah, of course, you yeah, are sure. on different rocks in space. Yeah. So that, uh, that checks out as well. Just to, to kind of string three bosses one after the other together you go from this airborne platform that's just literally in the middle of the sky with the line down into a sewer and literally you go through a portal and end up in what looks like a sewer for the scale as as charlotte you referred to and then the next boss boss after that you're onto a lush sort of hillside where you're fighting the hand um and there's no uh suggestion that these places contiguously run one to the other it's just the portal you're presented at the end of the fight takes you from one to the other which is a really obviously it makes sense that that would be the case just okay let's design 10 boss fights and it doesn't really matter how they go together but from another point of view it, it it says something about the kind of prison that you are locked away in that it is so so kind of disconnected and so weird to conceive almost like you would get in say a horror film where you open a door expecting to go into one kind of room and you're in somewhere completely different that kind of feel to it where the idea is to keep a prisoner from knowing where they are at any given time yeah that makes sense yeah that's a good way of thinking of it i i mean the whole disconnect between them them i wouldn't say for me worked to its advantage mm. but i wasn't super bothered by yeah. it though i have to admit the bits in between i don't know if this is the right place to talk about this but the bits in between where you can auto walk yeah. the the rabbit is just talking 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 at you in pseudo intellectual nonsense i didn't really care for that too much to be honest well but i feel like you know it's it's a tough line to walk because i do think i mean as someone who's played the speed run it is absolutely exhausting to immediately finish one boss and go to another. So I agree that that the um, I didn't get much out of those voice lines that that your kind of narrator is delivering. But I think that there is some necessity in a boss rush game like this to have 
you know, you got to have like the Forbidden Lands and Shadow of the Colossus. You have to have something breaking them up or else one, Mm -hmm. it's done very quickly. And two, it's just like relentless. You know, you know, you need a break. Yeah, I agree. Um, But I actually think they could have done more with that. I felt like it didn't actually relax me enough. I felt Mm -hmm. like if there could have been an exploration element to it, instead of having this person just talking in your ear in in like riddles, I could have like had, I don't know, stone tablets to read or something. Like something where my character actually goes up to it and like, you know, a point and click sort of way and just like finds out about the story through that. I felt like just waiting for my character to get to the next stage while somebody was talking at me in a way that I couldn't understand was more stressful than relaxing. Sure. <laughs> the, the walking doesn't amount to much and there's even some slight orientation problems when yeah. pushing the stick yeah. when moving mm. from one uh, sort of scene into another. Uh, so for all intents and purposes, they might, these might have been just prolonged cutscenes. Which they can be if you hold the A button press and you just let uh, yeah. let Ryder do the auto walking. Then they <laughs> are pretty much cutscenes, actually. Let's get into that. Actually, uh, I'd got down here to talk about character design, but I think when we get into the bosses, we're probably going to have something to say about the design of each of those, uh, each of the characters in the game. So let's save that for then. Um, and mm. uh, Jacob, would you be able to quickly read us a kind of sum up of the of the aesthetic of the game from Simon Sloth on the forum, please? Sure. Uh, So Simon Sloth says, if I were to distill Fury down to its separate components, visuals, audio and gameplay, then two of those parts are, in my opinion, incredible. The visual aesthetic is wonderful and appeals directly to my tastes. After all, the character design was by Takasha Okazaki, the creator of Afro Samurai. The soundtrack and sound design reached heights which I have not experienced since Hotline Miami, and they were a compelling reason alone for me to wait to see the game through to its climax. Excellent, thank you. I, th- I think, you know, uh, Jacob said something about uh, creating sort of space in between boss battles. Yeah. I, I, I do really um, admire the intent of the, of the designers to, to in- include this, this bit. It's kind of, and it, it fits the sort of the, the lone swordsman motif uh, to have sort of these meditative bits in between fights, you know, where yeah. you're just yeah. sort of left to your, to your own thoughts and you're wandering through scenery. So that's that's pretty cool. I also don't think, uh, Charlotte, uh, it's completely fair to call what the rabbit character says uh, pseudoscientific babble. Is what you said or something? Because <laughs> uh, he he actually delivers sort of little puzzle pieces that make up the the actual story story of the game. Some of it might might be a bit inelegantly written, but uh, yeah, it's just like stream of consciousness very self-important the way he says it which is like his character but at mm. the same time it's very annoying to listen to i, I didn't like it's very I would, annoying to listen to such a character yeah i, I really right. didn't like him i wanted to slap him i, I really did not <laughs> like the rabbit at yeah, all i'm i'm From jumpy seems very manipulative as well right mm. um, i'm entirely with charlotte on on this i think that the character design is actually weaker on on the rabbit than virtually anyone else to me it kind of seems like a a low rent donnie darko just like ooh, or i mean or you know alice in wonderland is probably what they're going for as is anything that uses kind of like a crazy rabbit um 
but but yeah, he, he seems a little edgier than what this game is usually going for. And and his delivery is just maybe it's because all of the other characters speak at most like a sentence at a time and he's yeah. really delivering paragraphs. Yeah, it just it just didn't hold me like almost every other of the characters did. It's it's also one of those weird situations where I think several of the bosses in this game, uh, you're you're given clues that they have a, a history with the character you're playing as the stranger. Um, they say specific things to him that imply that he would know who they were and what they were in relation to him. So there was no real need for them to explain that history. Um, we'll get onto that when we talk about the particular bosses, but I'm thinking of... The scale the seems scale, to hold you responsible for the state that he's in. Yeah, yeah, and the hand says some very specific things um, yeah. that suggest a history. Um, so it's this weird situation where there's an excuse for them not being specific about how they know you because the character would already know that. Um, with the voice, which is the, the bunny character, the character wearing a bunny mask, you're not given any indication that your character should know him. So the fact that he's speaking in these really vague, vague sentences is, it seems like it's hiding who he is and why he wants to get you out of here from the player more than the, like, there's no reason he shouldn't tell the stranger why he's helping him and who he is and why he wants to get out of there, but he doesn't. And I think that's supposed to be for the benefit of the player. That, That depends on your reading of the story, I guess. So, I mean, yeah. he, he is a manipulator, yeah. but he manipulates you maybe not in the way that you're expecting. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's definitely a reason by the end of why he's trying to tease out of the stranger a, a strain of human, a, a semblance of humanity. Definitely. Yeah. But but at the time, it feels like he's just being vague for no reason. And it, it, I definitely got yeah. that sense of, could you just tell me what you're doing and why, please? <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and like, I don't... This this might be me being thick, but um, I'm okay with vagueness in, like, storytelling from characters if it's, like, hinting at multiple different interpretations. But I just found what the voice was saying confusing. Like, I... For a good chunk of the game, when he kept talking about she, 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 I thought it was talking about one character. Mm. I didn't realize that it was like he was talking about separate jailers. Mm. And so, like, I didn't understand the story. I didn't. It's only after when I went back afterwards and read the wiki and also going on to other parts of the story, the ending, I had to go back in the wiki and check was the whole space theme hidden within it from the beginning or did that just come out of nowhere like I thought? So I thought the storytelling in this game was not good. But then I'm kind of stupid and I need things spelling out for me quite a lot. You're, so. you're, def- <laughs> you're definitely not. I think they were going for this kind of... They were going for a, a philosophical kind of vagueness. Um, but I think you're, you're absolutely right. When you put the story together, I'm not sure there is a different interpretation of what's going on here. I think there's a very specific train of thought of what's going on here and the the way it's delivered how vaguely it's delivered and and the kind of twist at the end it it never built up to that being for me a a gut punch because i never felt like i had enough of a handle on what was going on until the end where they tell you and you're like okay that was my reaction at least it's pretty clear from the beginning that you're you're probably not the good guy in the story. Yeah, I think that's fair. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, that much uh, is clear. And that yeah. you're being being used by the uh, by the the voice to uh, you know for for, for, for something him to get at himself least. out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, uh, 
there's not so much as a gut punch, but I think for me at least the the game successfully conveyed a feeling of constant tension and unease mm. at everything around you and the the atmosphere that it uh, that it sets. Yeah, and I do think it's much more successful with the kind of like very short stories around each boss as we've talked about because it's yeah. like I I may not kind of know what's going on overall, but I can just feel how much the scale hates me or you know kind of like how how the song is kind of like uh, seemingly kind of a siren like you know trying to yeah. lull you into going back or whatever or um most most kind of uh impactful to me was I'm I'm looking up the name but the hand where you you kill him in front of his kid like yeah. that's mm-hmm. a big deal and and they do just enough to sell like his relationship with his kid to make you think like oh maybe your character won't do it and then he does and that's like you know that's uh, that's a pretty shocking moment for a game where you kind of know from the beginning that you're going to kill all these characters so i you know i think that they did those short stories very well and maybe just didn't didn't tie them together as as much as they could have yeah i I definitely felt that with the beat as well um that that whole fight is set up to be well this is kind of an anti climactic fight based on the last one this is clearly a character who has no chance against the stranger and yet he still runs her through with a sword at the end of that fight and it feels so unnecessary um Mm. that that it does kind of build on what you've suspected about the um the stranger all along but but like from from the first boss onwards uh and the first boss very specifically actually you're not given any clue that the stranger is a is a a a good guy if you like but equally well your jailers aren't particularly nice people either um you know uh, they they have no compunction about taunting you or or trying to kill you and and um you know and being very direct in the fact that they want you dead as or or imprisoned we've we've been talking about the uh bosses and touching on the story up to this point almost to the point where i'm tempted to start going through those but i don't know how we can talk about the bosses without having covered some of the core mechanics first mm-hmm. so i think we kind of have to maybe put a little bit of a pin in the story and the the bosses and the characters in general just to kind of run through uh some of the the combat um and and basically what your verbs are in in this in this particular game So the forum post from Alex79UK says, here's my one piece of advice to anyone playing this game, and I genuinely think it's an important lesson. Give up. Then start again on easy mode. The normal mode is pointlessly and artificially difficult. The bosses have more energy and you do much less damage. It's just not enjoyable. I played and finished plenty of hard games, but these are something else. It's not fun. There we go. That's all we need to say about the combat, I think. Um, <laughs> no, uh, no, I, I thought that was uh, really interesting. I, I disagree with the read on the combat, but I I understand that read on the difficulty, saying the normal mode is pointlessly and artificially difficult. I, I, I don't think it is, but I, I can see why. Similar to maybe Wolfenstein 2, I know I've had conversations with Tony um, about the fact that I... I struggled with what difficulty to play that game on and he went all in on playing on the toughest difficulty he could and it made it a much longer and tougher experience but it seems like he got much more out of the gameplay than I did and in this case I don't think there's more to be got from playing it on a harder difficulty but I think 
playing on any difficulty is there's there's uh there's valid reasons for for that i would say well okay so here's here's the part where i disagree um and and let me be absolutely clear that i am not difficulty gatekeeping guy and and if you played this game on easy and found it difficult or played it on hard and found it easy you know whatever whatever gets you the most out of the game that's fine Mm -hmm. however one of the reasons that i love this game and why i keep coming back to it is that every mechanic is kind of perfectly tuned and pushed to its limits in the harder difficulties in a way that it's not on easy because the different difficulties do actually change not only the amount of damage done and received but like significantly the boss's behavior and Mm -hmm. their their patterns and so when when you are playing this game on on easy it's just not asking you to kind of like get into the game's systems as much and and that's fine if you know like that is that is totally okay and that's cool that you can you know that the game will give you that option but unlike wolfenstein 2 which Mm -hmm. does feel artificial the hardest mode on fury to me feels like the mode that the controls and the bosses were designed for you know it Mm -hmm. feels like that is that is absolutely, you know, putting you to the test in terms of systems that were designed to exactly interact with the types of things that they're throwing at you. And and so with that, now we can now we can go and talk and like actually what those systems are. Sure. But I do think that there is there is value in the the difficulty here because the systems stand up to it. And that's you know, that's kind of what I appreciate about it the most. Um, if I, I could, could just quickly say something, because I played this on promenade, mm-hmm. so easy mode, and I struggled with promenade yeah. even. I did not switch to invincible mode because I really wanted to experience it somehow as it was meant to be experienced, mm-hmm. even if it was a significantly pared down experience compared to normal or hard mode. I did not care that I had less content through playing easy mode because I found it so difficult and easy that I was like, I don't want to do any more of this. Like having half the stuff is fine. I just want to get you, to the end. Like, right, you, don't, you don't want to do three more phases of, uh, of bullet hell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no. So like even uh, there was a lot of talk in, in um, so I forget her second name, C- Cecilia from Kotaku wrote um, a review, a sort of path review of it, where she was talking about the artificial, like the the sort of difficulty gatekeeping in a way. And and I'm like one of these people where I actually, actually, even if that was the case, which I I don't think it is, I don't care because I just didn't want to play any more of the game by the time I was done with it anyway. I was glad that I had a shorter experience. (laughs) um, So the article you're referring to is by Cecilia Anastasio. Uh, on Kotaku, uh, written when the game came out, and it's called Fury is the Wrong Kind of Hard. Um, I really enjoyed that read, so yeah, I definitely recommend it as well. Yeah, I have some some issues with, um, you know, s- s- using words like artificially difficult, because that's a, you know, that that's a, a very strong judgment to make. Uh, I mean, one could argue have, that everything's artificial enormous, the, on the basis yeah. that some designer decided <laughs> sure. on the difficulty, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, no, but you could could have really elongated discussions about yeah. it. one specific game of how artificial is the difficulty. Yeah. 
what actually is an artificial difficulty yeah. exactly. And yeah, it's, it seems it seems like a strange um, way to put a game and its difficulty balancing down for me, unless it's you know some clear design BS, yeah, yeah. so to speak. So I think yeah. I think when when people say artificial difficulty in context of Fury, what they're talking about is is saying that like. I know how to do it and the game is just like punishing, you know, it's like I figured it out and yet I still Um, can't complete it. Yeah. And from my reading of the game, that's just not the case with Fury, that it is incredibly difficult. But if you like if you know how to deal with the boss's attacks they are not long fights and and there aren't there aren't things that they throw at you that you don't have ways of avoiding. And so it's like I am not saying that it's not difficult in any way, but every action has a response that is doable and and is, you know, like made pretty obvious to you. And you can get through these fights without being touched. And if it was if it was artificially difficult, I just don't think you would be able to do that. I think that that you would have like attacks that you simply couldn't avoid. But these fights can be done flawlessly and I have done them. And so it's I think it's more of of a, you know, the argument should be about or what we're talking about is kind of like the difficulty curve and how it teaches you to do those things, because I think that's where the the actual flaws of the system really come into focus. My query would be, if someone is not going to play, let alone finish this game on a given difficulty, is having other difficulties there beneficial in that case to both the game and the player? Um, I think there's, I I think it's interesting that Alex79 UK says just straight out, go on easy mode, uh, play on promenade, don't worry about it, do that. Um, And and I think it, it does present an interesting uh, situation for a developer where what is difficulty to one person versus another and and is is it okay for a player just to to play an hour of your game and refund it because they found it too hard um, yeah i mean i don't think i don't think any of us would say that this game shouldn't have an you know difficulty levels yeah, maybe yeah. i don't want to speak for anyone else but like <laughs> d- totally not what i'm arguing here no no absolutely of course so in terms of uh, as mentioned the verbs you are you are using your your basic uh, inputs on your controller and and there's different uh, layouts you can use for this but um you are moving with left stick you are shooting in a kind of twin stick way with uh the right stick so if you hold the right stick in any direction just a stream of bullets come out of your gun and you can then mm. roll that around to shoot in any direction with that you are shooting the enemy at times but the enemy can put a shield up and and uh and negate those bullets but the other mm-hmm. predominant use of your shot, shot is to is to remove bullets from the screen. Uh, the bullets they shoot. I didn't find an easy way to kind of group these, but almost s- solid projectiles can be shot, and those can be blue or can be yellow. I think uh, and pink as well. I guess green, green and as well. Green, yeah, I guess it items. depends on the boss, doesn't it? Um, but the translucent ones don't, and the translucent ones look almost more like a model of an atom, where there's kind of a, a sphere. Then with a, a you can you can hear it immediately uh, because when you hit those bullets with your gun, there's sort of a 
uh, a ding, dinky sound. Yeah, uh, yeah like, like they're know? bouncing like off a, almost or something. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. But in terms of the way they appear, it's almost like I found myself just, well, I'll try and shoot them and see if they disappear rather than trying to rely on a visual distinction. Purple projectiles are usually uh, homing as well. That's true. Yeah. 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 So and they I don't think they can be they can be parried but they can't be shot either. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no that's fair. They can be parried and dodging them can be very difficult but they can be yeah. parried, yeah. And the 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 orb projectiles the the ones that completely bl- block uh, uh your shots uh can be parried as well. Mhm. Yeah, you can parry yeah, even true, any yeah. any projectile that isn't like a beam you can send back. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the shooting aspect. You're moving around this circular arena as is a boss. They are shooting at you. You are shooting at them. Um, and there's also a charged shot, which I had this weird thing that I noticed. So the, the um, controller layout I was using, I could use charge shot with either my uh, right bumper or trigger. Um, so that's R1 or R2 on, on PlayStation 4 controller. Um, but w- the the sort of beam that it, the the um, targeting beam, if you like, the laser it puts out was a different color whether I used R one or R two, but it didn't make a difference to the shot as far as I could tell. Just a weird curiosity, but so a charged shot uh, takes actually it doesn't take long to charge up. You can release that pretty immediately, but you can do you can't really do anything while charging. Yeah, no, you're you're kind of st- stuck standing still. If you dodge, you break your charge. You can move, but very slowly. If you're charging, and and there is a full charge with a vibration and a sound cue when you're fully charged. Um, as the resident expert, I will say there are very few situations where you should actually use the charge shot. It's it's kind of the least useful thing that you've got. Yeah, you just don't have time to use it, especially no, towards the no. end of the game. I use it sometimes with certain uh, bullet hell type bosses when there was a large distance between me and them. Mm -hmm. I also found it uh, oddly satisfying to counterattack the, um, what is her name? The sniper sniper boss. Oh, the burst. The burst, right. So when you, uh, in some uh, close small arena fights, uh, she fires off one uh, snipe shot and then she's vulnerable for a while so I used to always counter that with a charge shot of my own yeah no there's definitely and obviously the line in order to break the lines panels that are sort of shield panels that are going around you're using a charge shot for that Um, the other times Mm. that it can be useful is so uh, unlike your regular bullets a charge shot I don't think negate projectiles but it will pass through projectiles so if you're for example in the very final boss fight you're trying to hit a giant hand at the back of the arena you can use a charge shot to get through all of the projectiles it's putting out and actually deal damage Uh, so there are specific times and and but the charge shot there is basically a different attack yeah Yeah, it's a totally shoot shoot out a laser yeah because you're in a mech at that point of course aren't you yeah Um, Yeah. so there are times you want to use the mechanic but it's kind of very specific um, and and there, there is benefit to not having to, in that final fight, not having to fully charge the shot before letting it go. You can just kind of hold and let go, uh, which means that even though you're dodging in quite rapid succession, you can actually put out a charge shot in between. But yeah, I mean, that last fight we'll get onto, it changes the mechanics in several, or changes the focus of the mechanics in several ways. So much like having a shot, you also have a melee. You are a character with a sword who can slash. And you have one button on your controller that is a slash attack. And the combo that you do with it is just to hammer that four times in quick succession. That's your combo, as it were. Uh, Up to four times, I should say. Combo string. Yeah, yeah. And it's very much just four back-to-back slashes. And I think four is the most 
it does because four is about the most you're ever going to get out on any boss in between their attacks. Yeah, if you get if you get all four, which seems kind of random if a boss will decide to block or not, but that fourth yeah. one will knock them down, and so then then they kind of like take a second getting back up. Um, and speaking of charged attacks that I used very sparingly, I probably should have used the charge slash more, but I found it was very specifically if a boss seemed to have a large stun time to the point where I could get in four yeah. slashes, it might be worthwhile me doing a charge slash because um, that is a very quick... Well, it takes a long time to charge, but once you've let it go, um, it seems to be pretty much... I couldn't find an instance where anyone really blocked it, um, but but certainly if you catch a boss when they are in their downtime between attacks, um, it takes them straight to the stunned status where there's an orange circle around them and they're kind of downed and it gives you a f uh if you press a single button it's almost like a um auto combo you get off it um where you'll kind of get three strong attacks in on them it looks pretty flashy as well you can catch them also when a lot of bosses have moments in the fights where they sort of change pose and start uh, exp making expressive gestures and they start trash talking and those those are usually those are good, good moments them, yeah. when you know that they're, <laughs> when they're coming to to catch them as well yeah. with a charge slash and during the melee phases uh in the in the in the circle it's i found it a very good uh tactic as well to uh sort of keep when you know that they're using the the area of attack thing a lot uh it's it's also good to keep tr your uh slash charged and sort of Keep dodging until you you've until they're open and you you let go of the the charge button. Yeah, and one thing that's that's never told to you, at least in the kind of like tutorials that everyone will mm. play through, is there are there's another charged slash that you can only use in the melee sections, which is kind of like you you hold a direction on the right stick and your guy will kind of power up. You know, he takes mm. he takes kind of a pose and then he'll turn orange. And then whatever the next hit you land on an enemy after that will do a huge amount of damage, basically okay. as much as the charged slash. Yeah. And so a, a good, especially for like speed running, a good strategy is like hit them with the charge slash, get them get that kind of cutscene attack and they fall on the ground. And then while they're on the ground, you do your other Charging type up. of charge yeah. up. Yeah. And then when they get up, you hit them again. And that'll take a lot of enemies like right out. But it's interesting that that is that's like a crucial move, and the game never tells never, you to yeah, do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which I saw you, I saw you do that in the video you shared today mm -hmm. of your fight against the song on Fury or difficulty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's definitely. It, it feels like in some cases they almost wanted people to experiment, but I don't know how you would like even with the auto walk between uh, arenas. I didn't know how I was doing that. Sometimes I must have accidentally hit x on my controller and started auto walking i was like why is this happening sometimes and not others i don't know if that's ever explained to you but i never saw it and and just uh, completely missed that so uh, yeah i think there's definitely some kind of some case for this would have been a, an instance where uh, a wiki and and people talking amongst themselves would have kind of put this together but if you were didn't happen to be talking to people or watching videos you might just never see some of this stuff this brings me to my major problem with the game actually in the mm. so i expected this game to sort of to have a learning process where i'd be learning you know the phases and once i've learned what to expect then i can manage it but for me it felt like there was many many times where i would 
have to restart several times after I'd learned what I felt like I was supposed to do felt really random as to whether I could actually get the inputs in on time because my, my probably because my reaction times are crap it, it didn't feel like I was learning the combat properly and I never felt like I got the hang of the combat because yeah. I didn't feel like I was getting rewarded for learning what the the phases were really um I think other people will feel differently but because I do struggle with combat a lot and I struggle with my reaction times. I just never had this process of um, knowing what I had to do and then doing it and getting a reward for that. So it got very frustrating, even on easy mode. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think some of that is... So bosses are often um, at the end of an area where you've been learning how to use mechanics in the game. So you've had a chance to Mm. learn them and practice them on kind of fodder enemies, your general base enemies and then when you go to a boss you put something you've learned together to kind of show that you've mastered it and there is this weird thing where in a game that is a boss rush i think there's where you don't have the enemies to learn and practice on in a relatively low risk situation it means that until you have learned how to properly use your your attacks and and your mechanics i guess to address what the boss is presenting to you it feels like it's just constant negative feedback it's just fail 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 oh you passed that can kind of be how it comes across without having enemies in between and i'm not necessarily sure that's a good or a bad thing i think it's just something that's completely different about a game that's a boss rush versus a, a more traditional game that has what I'll refer to as fodder enemies and then a boss uh, periodically. Um, and it's it's a weird thing that I, I don't know how a game like this gets over that. Uh, I think it is just a completely different uh, beast in that respect. Usually an ideal uh, vision of a boss fight is that it's sort of your final exam of a level, right? Yeah, yeah, uh, where yeah you, sure. Where you've sort of uh, put everything you've learned throughout the level yeah. Uh, into practice but yeah this is pretty much the level the boss fight so in that sense it's it's way more akin to something like uh, Mike Tyson's punch out which is in fact a boss boss rush game yeah Yeah. well it's um, I I think it's a a good time to talk about the health system of the game because I think that that is actually trying to do what Mm -hmm. we've been talking about but but still runs into challenges so in in theory, bosses will always have multiple phases, usually five, sometimes more, like a lot. Um, and for each phase, you can get knocked down twice. You have you have like three kind of knockout charges. And so you can get taken down twice without having to restart the level. And and then if you make it past that phase, you get one back, which means that you're never going to run into a situation where you only get to try a boss's phase once. You yeah. always get at least yeah. two tries at it. And so with the kind of idea of a final exam, you can see that they're they want the earlier stages to be prepped for the later stages, yeah. Yeah, you know, that, that you're doing this. And, yeah. and then the final exam is kind of like their last one where they're usually invincible and just like throw a ton of stuff at you. And so in in some ways, I actually think the system is genius because in something like Cuphead, I would be fighting bosses and I would be able to do the first one every time. And and yet, like, then would get to something I had never seen and immediately die. Yeah. And then I would have to do that first phase again, even though I was fine yeah. at it. And in this, you get at least two and usually three tries 
to do something new, which means that while while you are going to be failing over and over, you get the chance to kind of fail at a new part and learn from that. And and for mm. me, that's that's very rewarding. But I think if 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 you're kind of struggling to get past the earlier phases, it still doesn't do the trick, you know, because you because you are yeah, still yeah. repeating things over and over. Uh, we've talked about the attacks. What we haven't talk, talked about is the way that you defend. And so mm. like a lot of action games, you have a dodge. And like a lot of uh, action games, your dodge is invincible, but in this case, only partly invincible. Yeah, like in a that's fighting what's game, really killed me. Yeah, <laughs> in a fighting game. So you talk about the the startup uh, frames and and then you've got the end frames where you are vulnerable where your recovery frames mm. at the end um, and the dodge is very much like that where there is an active phase of invincibility in the middle of the dodge but because you have uh, you are vulnerable through the startup uh, frames and through the recovery frames at the at either end bookending the dodge it means that you can't dodge last minute you need to anticipate when you need to dodge and you also can't dodge too early there is very much a sweet spot and that's true for any dodge there's only going to be a period of invulnerability there and not only that the dodge is chargeable it only activates once you let go of the dodge button so you need to if you want to dodge as soon as you can you need to tap uh, that button very lightly <laughs> yeah <laughs> so not only is the, the the startup are the startup frames not invincible it's it almost feels a bit laggy to even activate the dodge. Mm. So which is why you find yourself, let's say you're in a grid of lasers around you. Usually when you dodge like into a safe spot, you find yourself backing up away from an oncoming, uh, otherwise uh, unavoidable yeah, laser. Yeah, you're, you're fighting for by, space as uh, much as you're fighting for anything. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you're backing away before you even activate your next dodge, yeah. Um, it's very similar to Hyper Light Drifter had actually like exactly the same situation when it was released. And then Hyper Light Drifter was actually patched to make the dodge feel more more responsive. Um, and I'm not sure exactly what they changed, but it definitely seems like maybe there should be a, a second button for doing a charged dodge or whatever. It's a really hard issue to get away from because you want to be able to have the option to like go further but even even as much as i've played you know the dodge the dodge still feels a little funky you know it's like you can get a handle on it but it it doesn't it doesn't feel quite as second nature as as other games in this type plus you need to aim your dodge in the the you know your movement the the left the left stick so you need to make sure you end in a uh, you end somewhere safe uh, out of it don't hit because of the the startup and the recovery frames don't hit a certain beam attack at a wrong angle uh, it's way too cumbersome and finicky for my liking of for this type of game and there's some of the kind of arc attacks that come across the ground at you that you need to dodge through. There's some of those that are the full width of your invincible frames in your dodge. And so you need to yeah. be really precise. And yeah, I never it feels like got... you almost have to be like frame perfect on some it of really, those. It really does. Like for for a, a, a standard width one, it feels fine. But there's some that are double width. And it, it really, I never got comfortable with, with that throughout this. I found I find myself to be able to rely most on a dodge is when I started sort of measuring distances. Like, okay, when this 
uh, with this sort of uh, expanding f- danger field, or a Rodney, as I like to call it, <laughs> uh, comes, uh, comes, uh, comes, uh, it, you know, hits this part of the arena, that's where I dodge, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah, and yeah. then when they come in consecutive phase, so I start sort of making measurements, okay, making cert- certain uh, almost notches yeah, uh, yeah. On, on the arena wh- uh, what, uh, for, the, for the dodge timings. And if you get if you get caught out there, you get caught in the wrong spot. You can completely you can, you mess can it end up, up and, and you lose can end a up face. Standing yeah. up straight into another attack, hitting you almost sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. yeah you get this uh, domino effect. Yeah, which means that your your positioning. So I always found that there was for every phase of every fight, there was a sweet spot of where I wanted to be at all times because that would mean that I knew where a dodge was going to take me to. A bit like spacing when you're uh, in a fighting game, kind of uh, playing footsies or whatever. Mm. But uh, so so the the other thing that kind of threw me about this was the dodge feels like uh, the timing on it's a bit weird. It's consistent, but it's a bit weird. I could never quite get comfortable with it. And yet the parry is pretty much in, in instantaneous, as far as I could tell. I, I felt like I got yeah. once I realized I needed to use parry more than dodge. Felt like I got parry down much more quickly and the benefit of course of that is that with parries you're getting health back every time it's not consistent one fight to the next but for some of the earlier fights you're getting like almost not a full block but like half a block of health back each time and so i would get hit once and then parry three or four attacks and be back up to to full health in no in no time so if you look at the complete set of mechanics, it's pretty simple, really. Yeah. You know, there and there are, you know, it, it's presented, especially with a tutorial fight, as a game where you react to what the enemy is doing. And there are very, very uh, uh, just a, a very small set of actions you can uh, do to counter uh, what the what your enemy or what your opponent is doing. It's real when you break it down to its core compa- components. It's really a very simple game. Put together is where it gets interesting. It's interesting in that you you do only have sort of uh, four different buttons. You're you're pushing four different kind of like there's there's charges and whatever. But it ends up feeling like it's this conversation between you and the boss because they have loads of different attacks and everything. But but fundamentally they have a fairly mm. small subset of things they are going to do in terms of what yeah. your response is going to be. So it is kind of this back and forth conversation in that way that, uh, in a similar way to a fighting game would be. And it, it is interesting yes. in kind of reducing everything to those very few inputs, but requiring you to be very specific and spot on with which one you use when. Yeah, well, so if I, if I could sum up kind of the difference between between like a platinum game and fury it's that in in bayo and and metal gear rising and all of these vanquish they're games about expressing yourself through Mm. combat and fury is a game about following rules you know every everything that a boss does you have one thing that you can do that will negate that boss's attack and and if you do that correctly you will get through flawlessly and if you don't then you won't and so it it really comes down to just like you you have all the instructions right in front of you and and Everything that comes out is just like you have to execute them perfectly. And in that way, it is kind of a rhythm game because like in Guitar Hero, you know, you're just pushing the buttons you're supposed to be pushing. And and it is very different than something like Devil May Cry, where you're ranked on how cool you're doing something. In Fury, you either do it or you don't like there is no middle ground. 
So in terms of forum feedback, we obviously had a lot of forum feedback on the on the difficulty. Major Gamer on the forum said, I love how the harder difficulty is done. The damage bosses do is the same throughout, but their patterns change. The changes they get keeps the style of each boss, but the extra faster and more complex patterns really make things intense. As an example, taking out the scale on Fury or took me more attempts than all of Fury combined, and it was glorious. If the normal game is too hard, they released a patch recently that lets you further tweak things in an almost Celeste fashion, so everyone should be able to find something they can get through. Jobo Bonobo says, I am unsure if other people would classify Fury as a Souls-type game, but for me it's certainly the closest I've ever gotten to experiencing one. While these games have an incredibly passionate fanbase, their difficulty reputation was always something that put me off from playing them, as I just do not have the patience and time anymore to get good. But the art style and boss rush gameplay of Fury did appeal to me, so I decided to give it a shot. And I can certainly see why Souls fans enjoy this type of gameplay so much. The feeling of figuring out a boss pattern and knowing when to parry, dodge and attack can be sublimely satisfying. I died a lot, but each time I was learning something new. And then I hit a massive roadblock. As pathetic as it sounds, it was boss number 4, the scale, that did me in. At the beginning I was improving slowly, learning the patterns and reacting accordingly. I was at the stage that most of his faces I could blaze through no problem, but the final phase is just cheap BS, and made me realize that the dodge mechanic has a slight delay that makes avoiding his avalanche of shockwaves incredibly difficult. Unlike his other phases, I was not improving, not slightly. I always died at the same moment, again and again no improvement. Add to the fact that he never shuts the hell up and I was seriously contemplating deleting this game altogether. I went and switched to easy mode, might not have been very hardcore of me, but I was just not enjoying myself anymore. And the game did become a lot more enjoyable to me. I was dying a fair bit, but by now I was ma back at mastering the boss and figuring out what made them tick. But I could not shake the feeling of being unsatisfied with breezing through the game when before I really had to struggle. I also know that if I went back to normal difficulty, I would be back at seething at the screen, muttering swears under my breath. So this was a real catch-22 of a situation. That that final phase of the scale is an absolute monster. That was, yeah. I think that was kind of like my biggest roadblock for the game. And after that fell, then I was able to kind of get through. But like, you know, mm -hmm. each each boss is a step up. But at least for me, it was like, oh, my God, how am I ever going to do this? And then and then I just kind of hit my head against the brick wall until I broke through. All of us variously had difficulties with that final phase. I certainly remember talking about it. And, and yeah, it, I, I have to imagine that's a pretty notorious difficulty spike for a lot of people. The final phases are quite often uh, sort of more dodge heavy and bullet hell. Often, in a lot of cases, you can't attack the boss until they've kind of finished their repeating patterns. So, OK, we've talked about the story and I think we've actually covered quite a lot of the stranger and the voices uh, relationship. So let's dip into the bosses a little bit. I think we've talked a little bit about some in particular but there are well i mean there are only bosses um ostensibly the tutorial boss is the chain um but i think the thing that strikes me about these characters is just how distinctive each one is i think uh, we talked earlier about the silhouette effect i think each character uh, each boss very much has a distinct silhouette that i would be able to tell immediately apart from one another i really liked um i liked a lot of them i think the strap the the second one with the kind of like projector head was was when i was most impressed by the game because mm. even though it's one boss she like changes everything like four yeah. times mm. you know she starts off on this kind of unicycle and then gets her hands free and then gets her legs free and so it's like you know yeah. functionally you're fighting three different characters and they had to be like animated completely differently every time and so 
even though, you know, saying it's like it's a game of 10 bosses sounds a little content slight. You know, it is important <laughs> to to recognize just how how different these bosses act within their own fights. Yeah. And she she had a very um, yeah significant arena as well to fight in with the walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's the one that lets you know that the arena is going to be absolutely key to uh, to how you fight these bosses, um, especially with the homing. I think that's the first time you see homing projectiles like that, uh, and and those were doing my head. And until I understood how I could dodge, but or when to dodge behind the uh, the cover, that as as I mentioned, that was my hurdle to get over where I stopped the first time around. The line was interesting uh, in that uh, you basically created your own bullet hell <laughs> with all of its reflective <laughs> shots and everything. And pretty much everything you do to him comes back to you in uh, some sort sort of way, which is just an, overall a very interesting concept for, uh, for a boss fight. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, Mikhail, I know you mentioned you had a lot of uh, problems with the, the bursts final phase, the like sniper lady. Yeah, the final phase especially. I, I really enjoyed the the, uh, the fight up until the, the final phase. Uh, and the reason was that the arena goes dark. You're pretty much focusing on all the, the projectiles mm-hmm. and beams that go around. But then there are the sniper shots. And the only way to really escape them safely is to make them be blocked by walls that pop up. But those walls are very dark. Uh, they're like part of the uh, the same color of the environment. So I was just, you know, three lives could just be gone by the time you notice what was going on. So at one point, the the the, the strategy or the tactics that I developed to to get through it in the end was just like see the the, the laser sight of a sniper rival as you know, focus on that as well and just dart around the arena until I notice it getting uh, interrupted somewhere and then stay there for as good as you can with all the pro- all the all the projectiles and beams flying around. Yeah, not 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 easy uh, when uh, you got yeah, you're navigating a, a bullet maze as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Charlotte, how about you? Any bosses that stood out for particularly good or or I guess bad reasons? <laughs> Um, I quite liked the song because um, I quite liked the phase that I experienced um, in Promenade, at least, where you try to shoot down the um, poles which are emitting mm-hmm. sort yes. of yeah. Um, yeah. shots at you. I thought that was that was one of the phases where I, as soon as I figured out what I had to do, it all seemed to come together. So that was a standout for me. Um, yeah, that was a very cool moment. Yeah, I thought. I love the little touch with the burst where in, in other games, you know, she has this kind of sniper laser and then you dodge behind a wall. And mm. in other mm. games, it seems like you'd have to kind of like wait there until she shoots. And in Fury, it's just like it's so tuned to be so fast as like as soon as you were behind the wall, she shoots and then you can kind of like come back out yeah. again. Yeah. And so you can play it like exactly as fast as you yeah. want to. And I just there there are little touches like that in a lot of the bosses that I really appreciate. And in fact, in that case, you don't want to wait until she's not aiming at you to approach her. You have to go at her when she's aiming at you in mm-hmm. order to catch her and to to progress the fight. Um, I I really struggled with the timing on when to do that, and she ended up running around after her just for minutes at a time trying to catch up unfortunately but uh but no it was a really inventive boss fight and just uh you know going back over these with uh with with this discussion i'm realizing how each boss fight really just nails that aspect i've talked about before with yeah let's 
let's ring the bell again, Souls games, where it feels like each boss is teaching you something different about the way you can fight. Mm. Um, and particularly, Charlotte, you mentioned the song with the towers. As soon as I saw them, well, once I saw them, I realized what I had to do, but I've been so focused on the boss in in fights leading up to that that it took me a, a, yeah. a moment to see them see those towers around the edge and realize that i had to go and attack those um yeah just really clever stuff yeah I, i'm going to be incredibly boring and say that the the edge um who is a a, a samurai wearing uh red body armor and uh with a, a blue kimono and uh green trousers over the top and has a katana and wakazashi and for exactly the the artorious reason, this is almost a, a mirror fight where you and he are evenly matched. He tells you as much, uh, and ex- and um, has that kind of encouragement, encouraging expectation of of you. Um, but I I really like that it goes straight into mm. or, or it, it predominantly focuses on on dual phases a lot, and and actually. Uh, you realize quite quickly he's doing a lot of damage to you and you're doing a lot of damage to him as well. Yeah. It really changes. The, the game does something very mm. clever here, yeah, in that it changes the damage output yeah. on both you and the, and the boss and it becomes a high stakes you, you samurai it's a type battle match. where a few yeah. slashes yeah. are all that that are all that are needed yeah, to end the match. It's, it's really um, cool. yeah, the fight. yeah, I want to call out here, I wrote down... Um, there are lots of little references in this game, mm-hmm. especially in like the the finishing moves. You know, a lot of them are kind of like other samurai things or animation or whatever. Mm-hmm. This guy is a clear reference to Musashi, who's like the most famous samurai, including the there is like a legend about Musashi where he like attaches his sword to an oar. And so he has more reach. And and in the yeah. edges fight, like the last two phases He's he's just fighting you with an oar and it doesn't really <laughs> yeah. change how the fight yeah. works yeah. like you act as if it was a sword but it's just such a kind yeah. of like weird touch that I I think is is a direct reference to this real life figure mm. but also it's just like who is this guy what is he doing <laughs> I, I almost yeah. get the impression that like I, it's it's head cannon it's very much head cannon but like all the other bosses you fight are jailers or obstacles put in your way to keep you from getting out. I I almost treated him like he's just a guy who wandered up because he wanted a good fight. He's not here right. to keep you in. He just wants the fight. That That's why he's here. Mm. He couldn't care less whether you stay in, get out. It doesn't matter. He just knows that you're a formidable opponent. Uh, and there's something really kind of standoffish or, yeah, that kind of samurai duel about it. And, yeah, f- fighting with an oar on a pier is just, uh, yeah, it's a really cool change halfway through that fight. Coming from having played a lot of bullet hell shooters, I think a lot of the overall bullet spreads are not that distinguishable mm. from uh, boss to boss. But the scale definitely has some pretty curving lasers. Uh, green laces against a dark background. I found it pretty mesmerizing when I was fighting yeah. it. Yeah, and yeah. you can you can deflect those and actually give yourself more room in that fight. Yeah, uh, but it's it's very hard to do. It's a really kind of high risk, high reward situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and actually, the weird thing with the grid lasers that come out at the end in the final phase, I got hit by one of them as it was coming out uh, and got knocked down. And that that beam there didn't then exist for the rest of the fight. I could never mm-hmm. reproduce it huh. after that, but I wish I could because it would make it so much easier to not have one of the grid lines there so you had more space. But it's just a weird thing that happened. A very chip 
cheap uh, cheesy tactic also of me sometimes was when I got knocked down with a, by a hard to dodge uh, attack where uh, many more were to follow I would just stay down for as long <laughs> as I could because I was invulnerable on the floor and then you know would uh, minimize any chance of further damage okay so uh, one of the things we haven't talked about uh, really is the the endings uh, which kind of is where the story all comes together so uh, all we know up to this point is that the voice has has helped you uh, start escaping from a prison that you're being kept in and that there are all of these jailers who are your your bosses uh, that you're that are trying to keep you in including people who've put you away including people that you have clearly hurt or wronged in some way and have a, a, a distinct vendetta against you and then after you beat the edge you fight the beat um who is supposed to be a, an easier enemy who runs away from you predominantly is clearly scared of you and is is sort of speaking to you in terms of you're not what i expected uh i thought you were some monster and then obviously you prove her suspicions right by killing her at the end of the fight and then the uh the two main endings um are either you leave that fight and ascend via a mech suit into space and into your home ship, as it were. This is post the, the game credits. Uh, oh, the that's a good point. Yeah. So when you beat the beat, as it were, as um, I think Charlotte brought up, uh, you walk out over fields while the credits are on and can kind of explore until you reach a tower that points up to the sky and is a, a launch platform for you to go back to your home ship. Uh, at which point a, a character or an entity called the star addresses you and it becomes apparent that you were sent there to uh, scout out or initiate uh, an invasion of this planet. And and you are, you're a clone. You're one of many identical figures who are kind of like, you know, this, this entity's armies. Soldier, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you're given a choice. The star makes it clear that um, you are... A, basically pushing a button to initiate an invasion of this planet. Um, there are comments along the lines of, well, by not doing this, you are, you are harming your own, uh, you're harming the star and, and your own uh, home world, if you like. So uh, my takeaway was that this invasion is happening because the star and its people need a new home and, or need the resources mm -hmm. that this planet has. So you can choose to carry on with the invasion, in which case the game ends there. You in invade and destroy the planet, or destroy the people on it at least. Um, or you can choose to refuse and fight the star, which is the optional boss fight that Mikhail talked about earlier and we've kind of mentioned, which is very predominantly uh, kind of bullet hell section. Uh, you're you're dueling, but you're dueling drones and and uh, hands that are, that are shooting out bullets at you rather than a, an actual physical enemy that is the same size as you and uh, and facing you in the same way other bosses have. You know, there, there were so many sweeping lasers in that fight that uh, yeah, it was just very hard yeah. to consistently dash through that my tactic to finally beat it became how can I make sure I keep consistently hitting this thing so I don't have to go through the length of full length of these phases and end them early. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's how I finally how I finally beat this boss, yeah. Yeah, which is is key because um the phases will cycle but inevitably there are points where you could have taken a boss down and or you could have taken a phase down and it, the game makes things so much harder for you uh if you haven't by that point. Start, yeah. starts throwing arcs across the ground in addition to bullets 
uh, and it just yeah it gets manic to say that say the least it gets very sort of frantic having to kind of deal with everything uh that's where i found the charge attack that the mech suit that you're in has is mm-hmm. invaluable because you can be taking taking uh the the boss health down whilst it's flooding the screen with with bullets uh, as long as you're able to kind of dodge and find the space to let the shot off, uh, but yeah, a very different fight I found. It was uh, it required different things of me than the rest of the game had, and that made for us a, a slightly frustrating afternoon where I <laughs> sort of bounced off it quite hard. But and so the end of that, obviously, is you've chosen to repel the invading force and to save the planet that is now below, knowing that they will likely never accept you as anything but their enemy. And this is all kind of presented from the perspective of the vo- the voice and the voice's daughter, the, the bunny mask wearing uh, kind of sidekick throughout the rest. Uh, and it transpires that he broke, he helped you break out in order to get back to his daughter. And in the hope that he would help you see that the planet is worth saving uh, when the time came. Uh, and the third uh, kind of, it's, I guess, obvious, but the, the third secret ending is that when you fight the song, uh, you are invited to just stay there with the song, who is angelic in appearance and can create a world for you to inhabit that leaves you at peace. Um, and and you're, she encourages you to stay there, and only when you try and leave will she actually fight you. Major Gamer says, The story has nice little touches to it, some of which can only be, be picked up on a repeated playthrough. The strap is who the prison was originally built for. The scale and the DLC boss, the flame, met the writer previously with disastrous results. The voice is the one who built the prison and wants out, even faking a fight in what would have been his own arena. Then there is the beat who is there out of duty, not ability, and the point where you may really question if you are the bad guy. This immediately gets followed by your escape, causing the decay of everything around you, leading to the potential confrontation with the star. It all makes for some nice world building in a boss rush game where it wasn't particularly necessary to have. Excellent. Um, Yeah, I think uh, I'd forgotten to include the fact that the voice, yeah, is trapped in there not as a prisoner, uh, which is why the voice speaks to you as different from him. He's not just a prisoner like you, uh, but had been left in there in order to... to basically make the prison secure so that no one on the outside would know how to escape uh, or how to break in. T-Bone254 says that the story was a surprise for me. It's acted well, subtly told, and asks some morally challenging questions. This last part is exemplified by the final guardian, The Beat. This boss's narrative section really caught me off guard. The Beat is a perfect example of how younger generations can be influenced by older generations and how they can take up ideals that they may not fully understand. The tone of the voice is different here. He talks about how his hate for the prison is rooted in um, with this final guardian. You can hear the disgust and frustration in his voice when he talks about the people's willingness to sacrifice her for their safety. This gives us some insight in his decision to break out the prison he created, especially when we find out that it is to see his daughter again. Even the tone of the battle is different. Rather than taunt Ryder, she tries to reason with him, and when Ryder finally reaches the finally reaches the final platform and the beat can retreat no further, she begs him to turn back. Since she has no ability to fight, all she does is block while Ryder mercilessly pummels her. The sheer brutality of it caught me off guard. When he finally kills her, she begs him to stay one last time before finally slumping down to her knees, looking helplessly pathetic and alone. This was straight up sucker punch in the feels. I was not prepared for this. 
Then to further send my emotions on the fritz, the next scene is the credits that has Ryder walking around an open field as the world withers and decays at his feet, all set to some of the most awesome and funky music I've ever heard. In total contrast to my feelings just moments ago, I felt like a total badass. I was free because I was willing to do whatever was necessary. It was one of the most emotionally exhilarating moments in gaming for me. I don't believe there are perfect games, as there is always room for improvement. However, I believe Fury is exactly the game it wants to be, which is about as close to perfect as you can get. Okay, uh, I will take Scrossel's forum post here. Scrossel says, I really wanted to like Fury, but there was just too much about it that I really didn't gel with that it made it impossible for me to enjoy. There were things about it I really liked, though. The visual style is fantastic, especially for me being a fan of Afro Samurai, the creator of which did the character design here. The soundtrack is brilliant, and I'm a big fan of many games this one takes after. But unfortunately, this is a game of two halves, and what joy I got from one was squashed by the other. Um, I really liked the melee sections of the boss fights, where you go toe-to-toe in the really snappy, quick, and stylish duels, but the bullet hell sections were just awful for me. I'm not into that kind of game at all, and I have more or less zero experience with them. There was just too much on screen for me to deal with, and the size of the hitbox for your character and the bullets themselves always felt really inconsistent and unreliable. And despite the gameplay being split 50-50 between these modes, my imbalance of skills meant my experience with the game was having to spend far more time on the parts I wasn't enjoying. In at least the short time that I did play, I found the sword fighting sections to go rather smoothly, while every bullet hell phase was a slog and a huge barrier that was a struggle to get past. I quickly reached a point where I just couldn't progress anymore. Shadowless Kick says, On the whole, I enjoyed my initial playthrough on the Fury setting, but it was hard not to be disappointed. On paper, Fury's combination of shump, bullet dodging, and melee combat is my dream game. But when it was over, I didn't have a strong urge to dig deeper or shoot for better times or trophies. When revisiting it for this podcast, that feeling of one and done was only reinforced. Although, it was interesting to encounter each opponent again, while already knowing the truth about the protagonist. Ultimately, I think Fury has a solid foundation that needed another round or two of tweaking and polish to turn into something really memorable. Still, I would recommend anyone interested to give it a try. It isn't perfect, but it does some unique things and offers a mostly fun, if fleeting, experience. Thank you very much. Again from the forums, Simon Sloth says, It's in the moments when the screen is full of projectiles which you impossibly dodge through with a slither of health to your name whilst the deliciously curated soundtrack assaults your senses that the game truly clicks. Put my other teeth in. The dash delay made these moments less frequent than I hoped, but I just could not master it. The lovers of this game obviously have, and I have nothing but envy for them. A missed opportunity, but it's my fault, not Furies. There we go. Worth mentioning that uh, the legacy of this game, uh, if you go to uh, the Game Baker's website, is a rather beautiful looking game called Haven, um, which is more of an RPG designed to be kind of potentially a co-op experience. Uh, That's due to be released in 2020, and that's uh, the Game Baker's next game. Okay, we have some three-word reviews which you can leave for us, uh, usually on the day of recording. Uh, the Twitter account, at Rince puts out a request for three-word reviews. And here are the ones we got for this one. Um, Charlotte, would you kick us off, please? Sure. So, from Jobo Bonobo, not for everybody. Andrew Elmore says, secretly shmup training. Uh, Adam, who is at Horse Morsel, says, brilliant boss battles. Fernando Antunes says, shmup souls blend. The Tiege, also known as Bearfish Pie, straps, head cannon, hazardous. 
Okay, I popped us in an order that I thought might roughly leave us with uh, maybe the more negative experience first and the more positive experience last. I guess we'll find out. Um, Charlotte, would you kick us off with a summary, please? I have to give the caveat that when people talk about games, it is inevitably subjective. <laughs> so if you're wanting it from the point of view of, some, of somebody who loves this genre, then just don't listen to my opinion and listen to the other guy's opinion. But me personally, I did not enjoy this game and I cannot recommend it. I really did not want to play this game. I had to space it out over multiple weekends and chip away at it because I just wanted to play something else. There is some value in just coming to games and not knowing much about them, especially indie titles, which I think happens with a lot of people. But in this case, something like this genre is a real sort of acquired sort of... a. Not everybody's going to like it. And in that case, if if you're unsure as to whether you like sort of shoot 'em ups that kind of genre, um, or this is you want to maybe just try something, maybe this is not the game to jump in on it because I just got very frustrated. And ultimately, what I came to it for, the music and the art style just wasn't enough to carry it for me. And even the things that I thought might have carried it for me, like the story, just disappointed me. So, um, unfortunately, for the first time ever, I think, I'm just going to have to say I don't recommend playing this. I did not have a good time. No, that's in- entirely uh, fair enough. And thank you for sticking with it, because I think it was important to have your perspective on this one. As always, different opinions can uh, are very important for us to, to talk about and acknowledge. So, thank you. Uh, Mikhail? Yeah, if I were to describe... Uh, Fury, in just a handful of words, it would be narrow, focused, uh, simple, yet interesting due to its um, combination of uh, various elements. Yeah, I've I've played a a lot of uh, action games and shoot-em-up games to the shooters of uh, Japanese making, some of which uh, the developers um, name-checked in the final credits. And... I think Fury, quite understandably, um, you know, doesn't reach the level of polish and immediacy that those uh, games typify. Uh, it comes impressively close, though, so it's it's a, a very great effort. Uh, but ultimately, uh, it was the post-credits uh, boss fight uh, that sort of uh, soured me a bit more on the whole experience. It's, it's, it's where I fell uh, the exact. Uh, you know the, the the position that the game demanded of me wasn't really um, facilitated by uh, how the mechanics were implemented. Uh, implemented, and I'm again specifically talking about the dodge. Uh, there are ways to get around it. Of course, there are players like like Jacob who can bend the game to their will <laughs> and uh, can find find uh, a way uh, to to make it all work. But yeah, for this type of game, I want uh, something like a dodge to be almost a thoughtless, instinctive reaction sort of button, you know? So what you get then is, uh, as if we're purely talking about the the sections where the dodge matters, which is the, the, the bullet help uh, sections, you get at least a fury uh, mode. You get sort of, uh, you ne- never complex uh, or, or never, almost never bullet patterns that are too complex to not get through with the dodge. With the caveat of it being also not really um, as precise enough to uh, to warrant more complex patterns, so I'm I'm I would I personally uh, pre- prefer games that are have more 
complex attack patterns, but are less finicky in terms of your defensive <laughs> options. Yeah, but having that said all that, I think there's a lot to love and admire about Fury, and I think they've, they've created something wholly unique and um, still really cool about it. And I'm happy I've played through it, and I, I'm happy to have played it. Thank you very much. For a bit of context, I played this pretty much back-to-back with Sekiro, um, which is a heck of an intense, <laughs> intense experience. I don't think I've played anything quite like Fury, to be honest, um, and that alone is almost a rec- recommendation in and of itself, e- even if it's one that I have to expect that not everyone is going to enjoy this game and, and get from it what I did. I think it's a game that mechanically tests timing far more than any complex inputs or button sequences, uh, and, and that alone had me worried to a certain extent because I don't think I have particularly good timing. But I, I managed with the the difficulty of this. I think it's a very tough game. I certainly found it tough. But I I had a lot of fun learning this. And even through the frustrating moments, like Charlotte said, I came back to the game after uh, I cleared my head a bit and I found that I had proper Zen moments with this, uh, particularly the fight with the edge. By the time I was finishing that, I barely got hit at all. I could certainly see a situation where I could flawlessly get through that fight. Um, And at that point, it really feels like that conversation I was talking about, about that back and forth. And it feels like you've got to Mm. a point where you've, you've mastered something. But I think it's unfortunate that I have to accept that I, I, I can't expect everyone let or maybe even anyone to bang their head against the game in the way that I did and and, and almost find the the fun in it mm. the weird thing is that what's going to stick with me from this game is is almost certainly the aesthetic I'll be listening to this soundtrack in a long time I don't expect to want to replay on furier difficulty or try to learn to speedrun this game um, for all the fun I had with it and so it's this weird thing of I I really enjoyed uh, a, a lot my time with this game, but I'm not sure I would recommend it to a large number of people. I think it's I think it's fantastic, and for people who people like myself, or certainly like I'm sure we're going to hear from and Jacob from Jacob in a sec. I think it's it's a fantastic experience, but uh, yeah, I can't I can't deny uh, I have qualms about the fact that so many people bounce off a game like this uh, and what that says about how it's how it's presented to those people. What you said, it's very much uh, an expectations yes. thing. You know, it's it's all uh, the expectations which uh, with which you go into the game. It's not if you expect to just roll through these boss fights and get to the end. Yeah, you're you're not gonna like uh, one uh, one bit of it. But yeah, a game like Fury is sort of designed with its boss fights of for the player to develop a relationship yeah. with these bosses yeah, yeah. Yeah, and to le- learn their ins and outs until yeah you've. And this is testament to the game. Like, if you once you figure out a boss, you can repeat most of uh, of the fight again and get through it almost the same way again as you did uh, when you and, finally and yeah, way, way got quicker. it down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, absolutely. And it's funny you should mention because I have been working on something in the past week uh, on on that like expectations uh, of of experience and how they pertain to difficulty, but. Uh, I'll leave that for uh, to be published on Canerins another time. Uh, so to round us off, the person who asked to cover this game and, and maybe regretting having done so, I'm not sure how Jacob feels. Let's find out. Jacob, over to you. There are a lot of reasons that I play games and and that people play games and and you know I will I will play a game to experience an incredible story or to kind of see visual spectacle or whatever. 
but one of the most specifically gamey experiences that that I value is seeing something that looks just impossible, just insurmountable, and then finding the ability within yourself through practice to get over that and and to to not only do this impossible looking thing but do it so well that you kind of can't even remember what it was like to not know it and and that's kind of the experience i've had recording this podcast was realizing that like i don't remember my first playthrough of this game you know it, it's like it's like the chemistry teacher who's just known chemistry for so long he can't remember what it's like to like <laughs> not know you know formulas like i this game is just in my brain inextricably now and and i just find it so absolutely exhilarating to have have a game that that pushes you to the absolute limit of its systems and your ability and find out that both of those hold up i can think of almost no other game that does difficulty in a way that to me feels that it is impossible yet doable and doable not because you got lucky but because you truly just now have the skills to do it um so you know if you've listened to this podcast you know <laughs> you know all of the negatives of fury there are plenty of reasons that i understand that people wouldn't enjoy playing this game but if you are a person like me who just loves to kind of feel that incredible like breaking through to the other side moment I can't mm. think of something that does it much better than Fury. Excellent. Well said. Thank you very much, one and all. <laughs> it might not sound like it at times I really enjoyed that, that that show. And and I really enjoyed the game as well. I don't want to leave on a negative uh as if I've had a negative experience. Okay, that's that's everything as far as uh Fury goes. Only thing I have to do is myself, James, I have to thank Charlotte, Jacob, and Mikhail, as well as every Free correspondent you've heard from, three word views and, and forum posts. Thank you very much. Uh, also, thanks to our editor Ryan and every single one of you for listening. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please do subscribe, rate, review, or best of all, head to patreon.com forward slash rinse and become a Patreon subscriber. Uh, you can get every Kin and Rinse podcast one week earlier and usually, definitely, extended beyond two hours, as well as an exclusive monthly podcast. Uh, next time is issue 375, and we are covering Donkey Kong and its 93rd sequel, Donkey Kong 94. <laughs>